Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Today, I am joined by my friend Kristen Boyette to talk about Charlotte Bronte's gothic classic, Jane Eyre. Kristen has been married to her husband, Brian, for 13 years. She's a homeschool mom of two that has been a childbirth worker for over 12 years. She loves reading and being outside, especially when both of those things coincide. Adventuring with her kids is her favorite thing, and she's been trying to visit as many states and national parks as possible. Kristen is a dear friend. She's in one of my book clubs. I love talking about books with her and just anything in general. She is such a kind, giving, thoughtful person. And I had so much fun talking with her about Jane Eyre. It's a book she's read every year since she was a teenager. And I can't wait for you to hear our conversation today. Kristen, thanks so much for being here today. For those who are not familiar with the story of Jane Eyre, can you give a brief summary of the novel? So Jane is a gothic novel about an orphan that goes off to be raised by her aunt and uncle, and later she's sent to a boarding school where she's eventually trained to be a teacher. She's treated horribly by most of the people around her during all of her growing up years. She's not really loved or cherished in her life, which I think is so important later in the story. So many aspects of her life kind of come up and show that she was not loved and she was looking for that love from family in her life. She then leaves the boarding school and goes to be a teacher in the moors of northern England. And that's when this huge mystery kind of unfolds for the manor there of Thornfield. Which we'll get to the mystery in just a little bit, but if you haven't read it, I hope you will go and read it because it is one of those books that are in our cultural dialogue. And it's something that is referred to so often, and it's a worthy book to have on your bookshelf. And it is a very groundbreaking novel of its time, and it continues to be so even within this classic genre. It is a book that has stood the test of time. It's not one that loses any of its mystery and its gothic feel from being familiar with the story. So if you haven't read it, please do. If you have read it, I would encourage you to reread it. But Kristen, when did you first read Jane Eyre and what initially drew you in to the story? I first read Jane Eyre as a teenager about 20 years ago. And I think one of the things that really drew me to the story was I was going through a hard time in my life. And I love that Jane was also struggling with feelings of loneliness and sadness and the way that she kind of worked through her feelings and turned outward to seek God. And she always looked to others. She always took care of others, even through her grief and things that were going on in her life. And I just love that about her. Jane was having a lot of the same feelings as me. And it was just, I felt like the right book at the right time in my life. I felt like she was so good at working through all of life's issues. So it's interesting that you say that because when I was a teenager, I 
came to Pride and Prejudice before the Bronte sisters. Did you, Kristen? Yes, I did. Okay. I like Jane or Jane Austen first. Okay. Yeah. So I think that I was looking at Jane Eyre because I watched the movies before I read the book. I was looking at the love story more than the character of Jane. And I think at the time of just the love story of Lizzie and Mr. Darcy, and I was so captivated by that and by the wit that I was not as persuaded as well with Jane Eyre and really won over by it as easily. And a lot of it was because I was just not won over by the love story. But when I finally did read it, I was so appreciative of how Charlotte Bronte constructed the character of Jane Eyre because Jane is a fantastic character. The book is worth reading for her character alone. So yes, it's interesting that you had that way that you came to the story. And I love hearing that because I wish that I had looked at it that way as a teenager instead of just brushing it off or not taking it seriously because all I could see was the love story. So I feel like I kind of shot myself in the foot over that. But I am glad to have this view of it now. And definitely when I introduce the book to my daughter, I will introduce it to her in that way. Because I, as we go along, I think the thing that will be the running theme throughout this conversation is the character of Jane. You want to say something, yeah. Kristen? Yeah. I still did compare the love story with Jane Austen <laughs> because I love Jane Austen. And I think that she's a much wittier love story writer than Charlotte Bronte is for sure. And so I still hold to that all of Jane Austen's love stories are significantly better. (laughs) And I still think that her writing is far superior and wittier than Charlotte Bronte in a lot of ways. But I think, like you said, the character Mm -hmm. sketch of Jane is just so beautiful. And just how groundbreaking they were with the direction the Brontes took the Gothic novel in. It is something to behold. It is a crazy book. It's wonderful. Along that same line, what is it about Jane Eyre that makes it such an endearing classic? I think besides the beautiful language and the style that Charlotte Bronte has, as a gothic novel, Jane Eyre is somewhat unique. And I mean, I don't hold me to this because (laughs) I've not read a ton of gothic novels, but I've read enough to feel like Generally, they had a cheesy kind of undertone to them, and they were so dramatic. That's why Jane Austen wrote Northanger Abbey, was to poke fun at the gothic novel. And so I feel like Charlotte Bronte really came in, and she made it more approachable to everyday people. The way that she wrote the love story and the redemption story, and it's just so beautiful. There wasn't that quite that level of cheesy drama like you get in say Dracula or something Mm -hmm. like that you know which I love but it's written in such a different way as a gothic novel it is more serious and it's more brooding I remember seeing the 2005 I'm dating myself and I don't really care but the 2005 Pride and Prejudice and I remember walking away from it and I always will love the 1995 version the best but I, I love all of them But I remember walking away and thinking, this feels more like a Bronte movie. It's more brooding. It's more moody. And you definitely get that different temperament within her novels. And I think that is definitely along the lines of everything that you've said, Kristen, which were spot on. 
this really creates this ability for these books to endure over time. You've shared with me before that this is a yearly reread for you. What do you love most about Jane Eyre? And how has your view of the novel evolved since first reading it? And have you found that your different life stages have influenced your perception of the book? So what I love most about Jane Eyre is I just love Jane's character through the whole thing. She's had such a hard life. And I feel like if anybody had the right to be jaded and hard from her life experiences, it was Jane. And she never did that. She always just went out and looked outward. She turned outward. I think you kind of see parallel lives with her and Mr. Rochester because Mr. Rochester also was unloved and mistreated and he turned inward. He was jaded and had a chip on his shoulder and really struggled through life. But Jane just kept pushing forward. She had a really strong character. She always stood up for what was right. And I really, I just loved that about her. So at first, when I first read the novel, I did focus a little bit more on the love story and just getting caught up in what was happening with the whole mystery once she got to Thornfield. And now that I've gone through it several times, I feel like it's way more of a redemption story than I first thought. Just how after the wedding scene, when Rochester comes back and he's trying to talk to her about what has just happened and she realizes that she has made him an idol and he's also made her an idol. He's made her his savior that I really saw the redemption theme throughout the whole book. And it made a little bit more sense to me at that point. And I feel like my life stages, reading them through all the different life stages, starting as a teenager and then getting married and into motherhood, it it's definitely changed my perception because, you know, at first in the teenage years, it's angsty anyway. And you feel like it's such an angsty book that you just get caught up in the angst of the entire thing. And then as I got married and had children, then I really felt like that's when the shift came, that it became a redemption story for me and not so much about the love story. Yeah. It's like you don't want to spoil it for young girls and you want them to be able to experience that like whirlwind of being caught up in the whole gothic aspect of the novel and the mystery of it and the the love story of it. But it's also that you want to sit by them and mentor them through the book and just tell them if you can look at this without just focusing on that one aspect of the book, if you can zone in on Jane's character and what's happening behind the scenes and all of this, what's going on, this is going to be such a richer book for you. And it's really going to help you through your life in different life stages. You just wish that you could do that. It's like, you don't want to spoil the book for them, but I feel like this is going to be one of those books that along with Kristen Lovren's daughter and our friend Rachel Atkinson talks about this, how she wants to read Kristen Lovren's daughter with her daughter when her daughter's about 14. This is one of those books where it's like, I want to give it to my little girl and I, when she's older and have her read it and like experience that. But then I want to be able to have the conversations about this book and, and the things in a, in a deeper light of really helping her dig into the story from the beginning. And maybe it will help her as she matures through the different stages. I think it also just, when you're talking about it with your girls, that Jane's character really showed in the wedding scene that she realized, because Mr. Rochester did have some character flaws. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had some serious issues. Right. And I feel like 
in our modern world that it's kind of okay to sweep those things under the rug. Whereas Jane, she brought it forward. She was able to repent and turn from what she wanted to have happen. And she turned to what was right and then move forward with that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, we just are going to have to have a book club for our girls when they, <laughs> when they get older and read, read Jane Eyre with them. Yes. Kristen, Jane has a very tumultuous childhood, as you've mentioned before. She is orphaned at a young age. She goes to live with her aunt and cousins who mistreat her. And she ends up in a girl's home where she's horribly abused. You've touched all of this in your summary. But during her time at school, she meets her dear childhood friend, Helen. How does this friendship help her persevere through those harrowing youthful years? I love Helen. She's one of my favorite characters. And she's also at this horrible boarding school. (laughs) So she's struggling through her life, too, because Helen loved her and Jane loved Helen. I feel like she was able to move forward in her life, constantly knowing she was able to look back and see I was loved at this point in my life when things were really hard. This person loved me in my rough state. And I think that that helped her moving forward because she didn't have to constantly keep seeking love. She's been loved before. And she references that at some point. I can't remember the exact page number, but I just love Helen so much. And she has been loved well by Helen. And so that is one of the other things that can help her, I think, have been built into her character as she grows. And I love that you keep bringing that up about how she was searching for love and how unloved that she was. But there are these glimmers throughout the novel where someone comes along and they are able to give love to Jane. And in turn, from that friendship with Helen, Jane is able to give a great amount of love to the people around her who honestly do not deserve it, but (laughs) do any of us. So (laughs) certainly not those people. (laughs) Those people are really don't deserve the love. We've been talking about this a lot, about the character of Jane. She has such strong moral fiber, and she stays true to this even in the midst of great temptation, which we are going to give some spoilers for. So be prepared. I'm going to spoil something right now. One of the greatest temptations that she's going to face is that her wedding to Rochester is interrupted because of some other news that we will share in just a minute. And Rochester, it turns out, is unable to marry Jane after all. And he offers she can be his mistress. But Jane will not concede to that because she has a great understanding of her self-worth. Kristen, why do you think Jane is able to hold fast to virtue through the many storms of her life? I think Jane was able to hold to those virtues because she was always looking outward and seeing the good things. And she did have a great faith in God. We see that through the whole book. And so... She's wanting to ultimately please him because he has been the one that has loved her the most through her whole life. And she does know that. And so I think she's always doing what's right. It's been a constant throughout her whole life that she's always been choosing the right to stand up for what's right, even with just herself, that she would stand up and say, no, that's not how I am. She's already been taking those steps of faith throughout the whole book. And so this is just another situation where she's able to do the right thing. She has that understanding of she knows who she is and she knows what Rochester is asking of her and what he's asking of her will compromise her as a person, even though it will fulfill this desire that she has. And I love everything that you've said. It's so true. Just I cannot emphasize enough 
how wonderful Jane's character is, what a virtuous character she is. She is one that really should be brought out and modeled for these current young girls who are are growing up because it's not that she's a goody two-shoes. She knows who she is and she knows that she has worth and she has value and she's not willing to compromise that when other people come along and are going to try to get her off the right path. Okay, Kristen, this is the question I have been wanting to ask you (laughs) from the time that you agreed to have this conversation. And since the time I heard that you love Jane Eyre and you read it every year, (laughs) what are your thoughts on Mr. Rochester? You mentioned recently that your view of him has changed. How so? And why do you think he is upheld as a romantic figure by so many women? I want you to talk and then I'm going to share my view of him, but I have to hear what you think. Yeah. So number one, I I don't know why women think that he's... I hated him at the the very like the first five or so times that I read it. I hated him. I didn't like him in the end. I like I just didn't like him at all. And I still don't understand why women read the book and they're like, "Oh, Mr. Rochester." I think that Charlotte did a pretty good job of laying out this was not somebody that Jane wanted to marry at this point in time. <laughs> he was he was not treating her well. And I think he just had a lot of pride. He had a major chip on his shoulder. But I think One of the reasons that my view has changed is once I started seeing the story as a redemption story. Mm -hmm. And once I kind of realized that Jane and Rochester are living these kind of parallel lives as far as that they were both abused as children and they both desperately wanted to be loved. That's what all Mr. Rochester wants. I mean, he had a horrible childhood. His parents didn't treat him well. And he's been tricked into marrying this insane woman that's now living, you know, and he's just really struggling and he just wants to be loved. He's potentially engaged to Miss Blanche, who just wants him for his money. She's a socialite. That's all she's looking for. She doesn't love him. So he desperately wants to be loved, too. But I think when you look at the life of Jane and the life that she's led and how she looks outward, she's Jane and Rochester really, to me, are the two different ways that we view pain as humans, that you can either choose to look outward and see the positive in life, or you can be Mr. Rochester that just turns inward and really wallows in pain and gets a tip on your shoulder and you really struggle. And I think that Mr. Rochester, that's what I think Charlotte Bronte is showing with Mr. Rochester is he's struggling. He's stuck in life. He doesn't know what to do because we do see glimpses that he has good character, that he has made good decisions and has looked outward for the good of other people like Adele. And towards the end, this is probably a spoiler alert, (laughs) but towards the end when there's the fire, he made sure to get all of the servants out and he sees Bertha up on the roof and he runs to help her knowing that he's probably not going to make it. He still is trying to do right by Bertha. He's taken care of her all of these years and all of his servants think very highly of him. They always have positive things to say. So I think I think towards the end, he redeems himself when he says, I've been a fool, my pride, you know, that sort of thing. But I think through the book, you're seeing that he's trying to work that out. And it's it's difficult. He sees this person here while he's engaged to Blanche. He sees Jane, who is pure and innocent and is willing to love him for him. And that's what he's been wanting through his whole life. And now he's stuck and he can't have it. 
Christian, I'm so glad that you said that because now it's kind of changed my answer. Now I have to look at Mr. Rochester differently because I was going to say, I hate Mr. Rochester. I can't stand him. I don't know why Jane would ever have gone for him. But I love that you brought that out because that has given me a more kind approach (laughs) to reading Jane Eyre again and much more sympathy for his character. I'm really glad that you said that was very insightful. And I have not heard anyone else that has expressed such a compassionate view of Mr. Rochester. It was very thoughtful. And I appreciate that answer very much. So thank you. (laughs) Now I have to take back. You can still hate him. I feel like that's the joy of a novel. It doesn't, yeah. they're, since I hate to say this, they're not actually real people. We can hate or love whoever we want from the novel, and it's acceptable. <laughs> they're real people to us, right? <laughs> that's right. Okay, Kristen, we're going to go into spoiler territory now. We've already alluded to it a little bit, but we're digging in. This is one of the great classic Gothic novels, and with good reason. Let's discuss the infamous twist of the novel, The Mad Woman in the Attic, who is Rochester's wife, Bertha, who he was tricked into marrying. Rochester was away in the Caribbean, I believe, and he was working there and he meets this family and he falls in love with this woman. And they're not around each other by themselves very often. And her family fails to inform him that she has a very serious mental illness. They get married and then she just violently displays aspects of this illness and he does not know what to do and he brings her home and he keeps her in the attic you know to try to give him the benefit of the doubt he is trying to care for her as best he can without putting her into at the time what would be a mental asylum where there would be horrible abuse and mistreatment but it's still not great it's still terrible Kristen, did you know about the twist before you read it? And that's the the big twist in the novels. Jane finds out about the wife in the attic. Did you know about this, Kristen? It was spoiled for me, but it was still shocking when I read it. What are your thoughts on this twist? I did not know about it. And I was really shocked because I thought this is just going to be a classic gothic novel. And there really is going to be some sort of ghost up there, <laughs> you know, something <laughs> really horrible. And I mean, that was terrible, but I was devastated on one hand because you know that Jane loves Rochester so much and that she's finally getting this happiness that she feels like has finally come to her. But I also felt like it really freed Jane to do the right thing. And so... I liked that aspect of it, but it was, oh my goodness, the whole, the whole time leading up to it, you're just like, what is this? (laughs) So spooky. So our friend Rachel Atkinson is reading the book right now and she has no idea of the twist and I'm hoping that nobody spoils it for her and I am dying to know her reaction when she reads it because I, I am betting she's going to throw the book across the room. That's that I think would be my reaction now if I didn't know, because Jane finds this out on the day of her wedding at the altar. Someone comes in and says that they can't be married because of the wife that he's keeping in the attic. I'm glad that you read it without it being spoiled for you. That's exciting. (laughs) You are one of the lucky ones. (laughs) I think that my mom had read it before. Like I know that my mom had read it before, but I think that she read it when she was a teenager. And for some reason, I think just not even thinking anything of it, maybe to try to get us to read the book she told us about The Wife in the Attic, which just spoils the whole book for you. But I love you, mom. And it it was not ruined. My life was not ruined because of this, but it was still a little bitter. (laughs) 
would have been so nice to read this without knowing what was going to happen. Kristen, we've talked a little bit about the Brontes before. Along this line of this wonderful twist in the novel, why do you think the Brontes were such masters of writing Gothic novels? For those who are not familiar, they were three sisters, the Bronte sisters, Emily, Anne, and Charlotte. And they all wrote these classic Gothic novels and are well known for them. All very different, but all very similar at the same time. So Kristen, why do you think they were such masters of writing Gothic novels? I think because they did struggle in life. They were very loved by their parents. And from the outside, their father made a decent living for them. They were in good standing, but there was a lot of death in their family. They just, their family members were dropping like flies. It was horrifying. And I think that from that place of just darkness in their life and that heaviness on their life, as a Gothic novel, that's what Gothic novels are. They're heavy, they're dark. And I I think when you're in a hard spot, that really appeals to you because that's what you're used to. You're used to that heaviness. And I think that they were just writing from a place of knowing. I think that's why Charlotte was able to write Jane Eyre with such eyes of wisdom for how Jane was feeling because Charlotte has known so much loss, just like Jane. And so I think that's why that came across so beautifully in Jane Eyre. I only know very little bit about the different Bronte sisters in their biography But I'm so curious about them. I have promised on the podcast to do Wuthering Heights for quite some time. And I was almost finished with listening to it and did not care for the book before this second reading of it. I've always appreciated Anne Bronte's novels, and it's been decades since I read her work. But these other two, I was just not so sure about it. But I have much more of an appreciation for them now than I used to. And I like that insight that you provided. And I'm just fascinated by their life. So I would love to know more. But in small doses because it is, it's very bleak. It's very sad yes. what they went through. I also want to talk about Thornfield for a minute. We have mentioned this briefly. Thornfield is the estate of Mr. Rochester. When I read Rebecca by Daphne de Moray, after reading Jane Eyre, I was, saw so many similarities with Manderley, the home in Rebecca, and Thornfield, and the importance of these estates to the plot. How does Charlotte Bronte use Thornfield as another character in the novel? Well, when Jane first gets to Thornfield, she gives a description of how kind of cold and broody it felt to her and how everything just seemed so cold and mysterious. And then you have the added aspect of the hauntings kind of coming in the night. And it's almost like the house is haunting them, like it has a personality of its own. And even Rochester at some point says that it felt like that was a prison to him, that Thornfield was a prison. And you just get this interesting, cold feel from it that it's out on the moors and they're isolated and they're being haunted. And it's almost like the house just has this enigma, this personality coming out and causing these things almost. And I didn't think about it until you were just talking, Kristen, but, and this is a huge spoiler, so skip ahead if you do not want this spoiled for you, but both Manderley and Thornfield are, and I hate spoiling, if you have not read Rebecca, I feel so bad. I'm just about <laughs> to spoil this for you, and I'm so sorry. They're both destroyed. Is that right? Is Thornfield yeah. destroyed? Yeah. So that's interesting that they're both of these very possessive homes in the end are burned down, I believe. They both yeah. burned down. Yeah. I think about those things and 
the beautiful way that so many authors can take a place and make it a character for good or for evil. And Thornfield is able to be eerie, as you said, and brooding and cold. And there's the, the gothic aspect of it. But it's not so frightening that you would have to leave like right away. I might. <laughs> well, yeah, because Jane, through the whole thing, she still loved it. Mm-hmm. Like she still found beauty there and found a place and comfort. So she, even with all of the mystery of Thornfield, still loved it. But I feel like it really, in the end, kind of like Rebecca, it had to burn down in order for people to move forward. This was my second question that I was really excited to pick your brain about. I want to discuss the interlude with Sinjin, her cousin. What are your thoughts on him, Kristen? And If you've only seen the movies, and a lot of the movies, he is not included, I think, some of the miniseries, some of the movies, but he is this young man who is distantly related to Jane Eyre. He has two sisters, and he is about to go on the mission field. And he says that he loves Jane and proposes to her. So, Kristen, what are your thoughts on him? Were you initially afraid that she would accept his proposal? I had watched many of the miniseries. And was still afraid that she was going to accept Sinjin. (laughs) So I'm going to preface this before I ask this next question. And in one part in the novel, Jane inherits a small fortune. Kristen, what do you think Jane should have done with the money she inherited, along with all these other things with Sinjin? (laughs) (laughs) Well, initially, when he kind of came on the scene, I thought, ooh, a better suitor. (laughs) But then as his character was introduced, I thought, oh, I really hope this doesn't happen because... He's so cold and so unemotional with her because he really, I spoiler alert, he really kind of loves this other girl, but he doesn't feel like she will make a good missionary. And so in the end, it's just another person that's trying to consume Jane. He's just using her. And so once I kind of came to that realization, I thought, I sure hope she doesn't say yes, because it's just like all the other people in her life. He's using her as a means to his end. So after she said no, I was so thankful. And as far as her money, I feel like I've read that so many times now that I don't really have an opinion about it anymore. It's just like, that's just what happened. So here's my thought on it, Kristen. Yes. This was before you have changed my mind about Rochester a little bit. I think she should have kept the money, all of it, gone somewhere else, far away from all of these men, and set up a girls' school and given these young girls a better home than the school that she went to. And then she would have been happy in life. (laughs) Of course, it doesn't play out that way. She she is generous and she gives to other people. But I think that it would have been great if she had started a girls' school and not dealt with all of this business of these, these brooding, controlling men in her life. And found some other man who was delightful and kind and worthy of her. But that is just not the novel that we have. And it might not be as good if it ended the way that I wanted it to. (laughs) I feel like, I don't know. I feel kind of like she got a little bit of revenge on Rochester at the end when he asked her, like, if if he's attractive or something like that. And she's she's basically like, no, you're hideous. (laughs) (laughs) And what a toll that took on his pride. Because he gets disfigured from the fire. The fire. Some like a yeah. like a beam falls on him or something. But he had said stuff to her about her not being beautiful. Yeah. So 
you know, as my mom says, that always says, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. So <laughs> well, maybe none, we'll... <laughs> none of them are a beauty to behold. <laughs> they have a good heart. <laughs> Kristen, I didn't include this in the questions that I sent you. I usually try to give people a heads up with questions, but I'm going to kind of just put you on the spot here for a second. But I thank you that you can handle this. Have you watched any of the other miniseries and movies? And if so, which is your favorite? Yeah, I've watched several of them. <laughs> when I'm not reading Jane, I'm watching one of the movies. I'm trying to think. I don't know the name, like the producers' names or the actors for any of them. But there was like a masterpiece series that was really good. And I liked that one. I felt like that one had more of the feel of the book, maybe. And there was another one that was done several years ago. And the the girl was... She was good and homely. I felt okay. like yeah. I felt like that was appropriate for Jane. I liked that aspect of it. But I can't remember the names of any of them. Okay. So one of my talents is remembering the actors and actresses. And I'm going to talk big about this. And then I'm going to forget, promptly forget everyone. But I think that the masterpiece one that you're referring to, and it's also one that I have loved, is the one with Toby Stevens and Ruth Wilson. And Toby Stevens is Maggie Smith's son. Yes. And then the other one, the movie that was done a few years ago, maybe, is I cannot pronounce the woman's name. It's Mia. And yes. then the last name is something I, I would butcher it if I tried. And then Michael Fassbender plays Mr. Rochester. That's, that sounds right. Okay. I'm a big fan of Michael Fassbender. So <laughs> I watched that Jane Eyre for him. That one does include Sinjin. I can't remember with the masterpiece one. I can't remember him being in that. Yeah. But I know that he is in the other movie. I feel like I enjoy watching the movies. I really watched the movies before I read the book. But it's so much is missing. There's so much in the book that you can't quite pack into a miniseries or a movie as well. So I feel like it's not quite fair, like especially a two hour movie. That's very difficult yeah. to do. But for what they were. I think that they did well. And I think it's the one with Michael Fassbender where she's on the moor. And it's in the book too, right? I think where she hears him when she's at Sinjin's and yes. she hears Mr. Rochester call her name. Yeah, and that's, Well, that's like the gothic <laughs> yes. novel, the cheesy part of yes. the gothic novel that I feel like Charlotte yes. added in. <laughs> yes. She had to appease the publishers and the what people wanted. It's fun to to watch those movies. I'm definitely not a snob when it comes to movie or book. I will equally enjoy both. But I just wanted to ask you, Kristen, because I thought <laughs> if you had one in particular, like this is the one to watch since you love the book so much. Before we switch gears to some lighthearted literary questions, Kristen, do you have any favorite quotes from the book? Yes. So one of my favorite quotes is where she's out on the moors and she's... She's just really depressed. She's left everything that she owns and she's truly destitute. She has nowhere to live and she has no money to feed herself. So she pretty much just collapses on the moors. And she says, worn out with this torture of thought, I rose to my knees. Night was come and her planets were risen. A safe, still night, too serene for the companionship of fear. We know that God is everywhere, but certainly we feel his presence most when his works are on the grandest scale spread before us. And it is in the unclouded night sky, where his worlds wheel their silent course, that we read clearest his infinitude. 
his omnipotence, his omnipresence. I had risen to my knees to pray for Mr. Rochester. Looking up, I, with tear-dimmed eyes, saw the mighty Milky Way. Remembering what it was, what countless systems were there swept like a soft trace of light, I felt the might and strength of God. Sure was I of his efficiency to save what he had made. Convinced, I grew that neither earth should perish nor one of the souls it treasured. I turned to my prayer to thanksgiving. The source of life was also the savior of spirits. Mr. Rochester was safe. He was God's, and by God would he be guarded. I again nestled to the breast of the hill and ere long in sleep forgot sorrow. I just love the beauty of the way she still looked to God, that she said he, God is going to take care of him. It's almost like this, I cannot be responsible as his savior. That's God's job. So I love that one. And then I also love towards the beginning when she's at Lowood. I read this every spring because I feel like it's just so beautiful. And she says, April advanced to May. A bright, serene May it was. Days of blue sky, placid sunshine, and soft western or southern gales filled up its duration. And now vegetation matured with vigor, and Lowood shook loose its tresses. It became all green, all flowery. And I think about that every year during spring. I think, oh, the earth is just shaking out her tresses. It's just so lovely. (laughs) I love those quotes, Kristen. That was, oh, thank you so much for sharing those. That is just so perfect because we are recording this at the end of April and we have definitely been able to see the beauty of spring. And both of those quotes I love for multiple reasons. And one of the things is her ability to capture the nature writing as well as she does and and bringing that in um, to how this is the creation of God. I think that is so beautiful. And I've lately, as I've been reading books, I've been noticing when writers include that, the natural world within their writing and, and those authors who are able to do such a beautiful job of capturing the different seasons and what is going on in the world around them and how that brings us back to a focus on God. And so that was just so delightful. So thank you so much. I also will not spoil one of the most iconic lines, which is at the very end of the book, but that is something for you as the listener to look forward to when you pick up your copy and read the book. There are many, many treasures waiting for you when you read Jane Eyre, and I hope we have convinced you to do it. So Kristen, I like to ask a quick round of literary questions at the end of episodes for fun. What is the best book you've read in the last year? I think you're going to know what it is. (laughs) It was definitely far from the matting crowd. I love that one. (laughs) I couldn't remember if you've read it before. Had you read it? I had not. I had read Tessa the D'Urbervilles. Oh, yeah. Which I've still not read. And I want to since I've become a Thomas Hardy fan now. Yes, Kristen is also part of my book club, which will probably be an introduction to this episode. (laughs) What is your favorite book of all time? Well, I do love Jane. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) It's my most read favorite book. I really love Kristen Lovren's Daughter. That's kind of come up to the top in recent years. Oh, I'm such a mood-based reader that 
it changes depending on what mood I'm in. So Anne of Green Gables is way up there. And Little Women, of course. I feel so cliche saying all that. The bookish woman that (laughs) really loves Anne of Green Gables. But yeah, I love all of those. And I love Madeline LaEngle, all of her books that I've read so far. Those are way up there. So yeah, those are kind of my favorites right now. The very first time that I met Kristen. We were talking and getting to know each other. And I think it was towards when you were about to leave, I think. And you mentioned reading Kristen Lovren's daughter. And for a minute, I thought she was joking. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. Here is someone that I'm just meeting and they have read one of my favorite books of all time. So <laughs> I love that she loves this book as much as well, I do. And there's not too many people that have read Kristen Lovren's <laughs> daughter. And it was the first when it was the first time I met you that I, I went home and I was like, she loves She's read Kristen Lovren's daughter. She's going to be my friend. <laughs> it was like immediately kindred spirits. Yes. Like when you meet someone who has read this book and loves it like you do, you're just like, no, we will be friends forever. We just yes. will. <laughs> okay, Kristen, what is a book you haven't read but have always meant to read? And I've shared mine so many times that it's going to sound repetitive. So <laughs> I'm going to It's Lord of the Rings. Okay. Oh, it's always Lord of the Rings. I still haven't read it. it. (laughs) And Sophie Burkhart, if you were listening to this, I will read it at some point, I promise. (laughs) Oh, well, I feel really bad every time I say this because of a Southerner, but I've never read Gone with the Wind. And that's it's high on my list. But every time I think about reading it, there's a stack of other books. And I think that's such a a massive book to get through when I have other things that I'd rather read. <laughs> and I don't like Scarlet. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I read Gone with the Wind as a teenager. And I will have to say that she is the complete opposite of Jane. So <laughs> if you need a comparison, Kristen, of like yes. who to be like and who really not to be like, that's yes, Gone with the Wind. The it's anti-Jane. It's, she's the anti-Jane. And I... Loved the movie as a child, but definitely as I have gotten older, it's like I could not handle being in the same room with Scarlett O'Hara if she was a real life person. All that to say, I know that during World War II, a lot of women in Europe admired Scarlett O'Hara and she was kind of an icon for them to help them get through the terrible war years. So I'm glad that she did serve a purpose. And I don't dislike the novel. I, I want to reread it and compare it to when I read it as a teenager. But I, I like I said, she is the anti-Jane. So <laughs> not someone you want to emulate at all. No. If you could invite any author or literary character to dinner, who would it be? Let's say you have three to five people or characters to choose from. And you can always cheat. I tell everyone that. And what would you serve? I would probably invite Dorothy Sayers, who I'd love. <laughs> Madeline LaEngle and Agatha Christie, because I really want to know why she disappeared and where she disappeared to during that brief stint of whatever that was. <laughs> and yeah, Beatrix Potter. It would mostly be women. And I think just because like Dorothy Sayers and Agatha Christie are there. I One time I went to this mystery dinner where they you like had to solve these riddles to get your food. And I think that would be so much fun with some mystery authors there to do that and like to dangle it at Agatha Christie that she couldn't eat her her meal until she told us where she had gone. (laughs) Oh, 
Kristen, this has been my favorite answer. I love that so much. Oh, that's so great. That would be so fun. And especially like a little competition between Dorothy Sayers and Agatha Christie because yes. they're both mystery writers yes. and who figured out the fastest. Dorothy Sayers. She would totally I feel like it'd be Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers. <laughs> I think Agatha Christie would probably just be busy talking. Yes. But I love them both. I love them. <laughs> Dorothy Sayers, when Kristen said that, Dorothy Sayers, I, I had to put my hand over my heart because I do love her so much. And again, when we were first getting to know each other and we had dinner at her and her husband's house, I saw some of the Lord Peter Whimsy mysteries on her bookshelf. And I knew, again, that we were just, we were yes. kindred spirits, definitely. Yes. So, oh, Kristen, that, I'm just going to vicariously live <laughs> through your answer. I would invite you. I, would, I would totally want to be there because I also want to know about the mystery of Agatha yeah. Christie, who, if you don't know about that, please look it up. I will get the details muddled. But she disappeared for how many days, Kristen? How I don't even remember. I don't remember. Yeah. It was for a while and they they found her at a hotel, like a, a health spa sort of thing. She said she lost her memory. Her car was found on the side of the road, abandoned with blood in it. And people thought that she had died. I think she was trying to frame her husband who was having an affair on her. But that's never been proven. But then she just shows up and says that she lost her memory. She didn't know who she was. So it was a big, at the time, big mystery in the paper. So that would be... So exciting to find out. This is very off the subject, but I I feel like I need to share this because of what this is just jogging this in my memory. My husband asked me recently if I could go back into any period of time, what period of time? It was something he had seen online. What period of time would I go to? And he was naming all these lofty things that people were saying. And I immediately say... I would go to the time of Richard III and I would find out if he murdered his <laughs> nephew, had his nephews murdered. So I'm all about any he sort totally of... did. <laughs> have you read Daughter of Time? Not yet. Okay, no. I need you to read Daughter of Time. I have this slight feud with one of my friends about Richard III, if he was innocent or guilty. But if you read Daughter of Time, you really kind of think maybe he wasn't. But <laughs> I just want it to be proven. <laughs> For sure. Just like I want to know what happened with Agatha Christie. So that's what I love is trying to find out historical mysteries. So solving that. So I'm glad that you were the same, Kristen. (laughs) Finally, Kristen, do you have any book recommendations to share? Well, as far as like Jane Eyre goes, I love the Karen Swallow Pryor edition where she has commentary. She did a fantastic job of kind of laying things out for Jane and She had some good information. I really loved hers. And then there's also a children's book, picture book about the Brontes, and it's called Glasstown. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. It's a children's book. It's just a thin picture book about Brontes, and it's very good. So I like that. But as far as other book recommendations, I think that everybody should read Far From the Madding Crowd (laughs) because I'm still hung up on that, and I really just want to reread it right now. Chris, I've told Kristen and a few other friends that we need to have a movie night. Well, the women from my art book club, we need to have a movie night and watch Far From the Matting Crowd because I do. I love the book and I love the movies. It's another one of those. I'm not really put off in this case, with whether the reading the book or the movie. I, I think you should read the book, but also enjoy the movie. So, yes. so any others, Kristen, or those, those are it? I think that's it. That's all I'm hung up on right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that you're in the mood for reading. I know. 
oh, I've just finished a series on the podcast called Son of Dust. And I'm letting my mom read a copy, but I, I want you to read it after after mom gets finished with Ooh, it. And I have like, it. I have all my notes written in it. So it's very vulnerable to let other people oh, borrow yes. the book. I don't but let I people written- borrow once I've, <laughs> once I've written my notes in because I've, I like enter in people from my life too. <laughs> to the books. So I don't give those out. Yeah. It's just like, I couldn't help myself. It's so funny. Cause I've said here on the podcast before, I do not mark in books. I've never like, I don't know. I'm can't do that. I loved Sarah Clarkson's book, Book Girl. And she talks about writing in the books and and having a conversation with the book by writing in them. And I was just like, at first I was like, I'll try it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't commit to it. It was just felt sacrilegious at the time. But now I just have had so much freedom just writing the book. And I'm just like doing it with all my books. I probably won't do it with my hard copies, but my paperbacks, I'm like, I think I'm just going to start buying I hope my husband doesn't listen to this podcast episode. <laughs> one hardback copy and then one paperback to write. Yes. And maybe a lending copy. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I think it's the only way. Plus, I love when I get an old book from the bookstore and I open it up and there's people's notes inside. I feel like it's taking part in the great tradition. Like they've mm-hmm. read it and, you know, they've taken in the things from the book and then made their own notes. And then I get to participate in the great tradition of reading it and making my own notes. I feel like it's just this beautiful gift through time. So I love seeing people writing in their books. <laughs> I love that too, except for, I think I've told you about this, Kristen, if I haven't, and I will share it with you, the listener. I checked out The Scent of Water, one of my like all-time favorite books from the library, and someone had the audacity to correct Elizabeth Gouge's grammar within the book. Someone kept all the notes that they wrote in the book were this grammar needs to be corrected. This is deplorable oh. and would circle the words that they thought were misused or poor word choices. No. Ruined. That might not didn't completely ruin the reading experience, obviously, because it's one of my favorite books, but it really did. Like it took me out of the story sometimes. I'd have yeah. to really work to get back in. So such a Karen thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so please do not be the type of person who who corrects grammar in books. That's not no. what it's intended for. It's not a grammar workbook. Mm-hmm. It is a book to be enjoyed and savored and to have a conversation with, as Sarah Clarkson would say. Well, Kristen, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I am very privileged to have Kristen in my everyday life. She is a dear friend, and I get to see her on almost a weekly basis. She is part of one of my favorite book clubs. <laughs> It's so good. It's, it's, the best. It's, it's such a good book club. So Kristen, thank you so much. I have enjoyed this conversation and I just am so glad that I get to share you with the listeners and all of your wonderful thoughts. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Beth. I really enjoyed it. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. So if you have a book suggestion, if you just want to have a little bookish conversation, you can email me at beth at a wellreadlife.com. I also have a website that's still in the works. You can also find me there. It's a wellreadlife.com. And I'm also on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Enjoy your week. Until next time. Thank you.